0: Welcome to the Inside Elections podcast. In this episode, how will President Donald Trump's legal problems affect races down the ballot?
1: And what's the fallout from the Supreme Court's redistricting decision on the fight for the House?
2: Which Olympic gold medal winning figure skater is running for Congress?
1: And finally, Nathan can't stop talking about sports from his old high school.
2: Here's episode one of the Inside Elections podcast.
0: Hello, and welcome to the first ever Inside Elections podcast, where we analyze elections in a nonpartisan, data-driven, and accessible way. I'm Nathan Gonzalez, editor and publisher of Inside Elections, and I grew up in Oregon's 6th District.
2: I'm Jacob Rubashkin, reporter and analyst for Inside Elections, and I grew up in Maryland's 8th District.
1: Hey everyone, I'm Aaron Covey. I am also a reporter and analyst for Inside Elections. And I actually grew up in nine different congressional districts across the country, I think. Not quite sure. (laughs) Aaron,
0: that deserves, that needs a little bit of explanation. Nine congressional districts?
1: Yeah. So I was um, born in Texas's 20th district, which is the um, district currently held by Joaquin Castro, and then grew up in a military family. And so I moved around quite a bit um, across several different states and in multiple places within those states. So I think the total is nine, but again, I'm not totally sure. Well,
0: that that makes more sense. And despite the haircut that I got yesterday, I am not planning on joining the military. <laughs> um, but Jacob, you're you grew up in you're slightly more um, slightly
2: less moving. Where's Maryland's eighth district? So Maryland's 8th District is right next to D.C., in fact, uh, about 10 miles away from the Capitol building itself, uh, mostly Montgomery County uh, in the D.C. suburbs.
0: And I grew up in Dallas, Oregon, which is in uh, Oregon's new 6th District. It's in the Mid-Willamette Valley, about 13 miles west of Salem. And everyone is probably going to get more uh, sports coverage from my old high school than you would ever have wanted. Before we get to our big three stories of this episode, what's one important development that folks should
2: not miss? Jacob, why don't you start us off? So Delaware Democrat Lisa Blunt Rochester formally announced her bid for the United States Senate to succeed Tom Carper, who is retiring at the end of his term next year. Blunt Rochester is the uh, state's at-large congresswoman currently, and she isn't expected to receive any significant opposition in the Democratic primary or in the general election next November. And she would
0: be the third Black woman elected to the Senate?
2: Yes, after Carol Mosley Braun and Kamala Harris. Aaron, what's one development people should not miss?
1: Yeah, so in other Senate news, um, Doug Ducey, the former governor of Arizona, announced that he is not running for the Senate in 2024, which for those of y'all who have been following Arizona politics closely shouldn't be a huge surprise. Republicans tried to recruit him to run for the Senate last cycle, but he decided not to run, and he has also um, come out pretty strongly against former President Trump on issues related to Trump's attempts to overturn the 2020 election results. And so because of that, he has alienated quite a few Arizona Republicans, and he would have a lot of trouble winning a primary.
0: And we're still waiting on independent cinema, Kirsten Cinema, to whether she's going to run for re-election. Is that right?
1: Yes. Yeah. So she hasn't announced if she's running The only major candidates we have at this point are Ruben Gallego, who is running for the Democratic nomination, and then a couple of other Republicans.
0: And Metro Council President Lynn Peterson and State Rep Janelle Bynum, both Democrats announced their campaigns in Oregon's 5th district, uh, setting up what's likely to be a competitive primary with uh, 2022 Democratic nominee Jamie McLeod Skinner in one of the most competitive districts in the country. This is a district that stretches from the Portland suburbs down to Central Oregon, used to be held by Kurt Schrader. And it's, a, it's, a, it's an important primary because Republican Congressman Lori Chavez de Reamer is one of the most vulnerable Republican candidates in the country. Uh, this is a race that we have rated as a toss-up and is a race to watch uh, all the way to next November. The bottom line is that everything is on the line in 2024. Republicans need a net gain of two seats for a majority in the Senate. They can control the Senate, though, by gaining one seat and winning the White House because the new vice president could break 50-50 ties. Democrats need a net gain of five seats to get to the House majority. And we expect a competitive presidential race no matter who the two nominees are. The Inside Elections podcast is sponsored by George Washington University's Graduate School of Political Management, or GSPM. The GSPM program offers master's degrees in legislative affairs and political management with in-person and online class schedules designed for the working professional. The program is not just a sponsor, but I'm also a graduate. Um, It was an opportunity for me to take what I was learning in the classroom and directly apply it to my day job of analyzing campaigns. So please click on the link in the chatter and check out what the GSPM program has to offer. Let's dive into our top three stories. The first story, Trump's mounting legal problems. Today,
1: an indictment was unsealed charging Donald J. Trump with felony violations
2: of our national security laws as well as participating in a conspiracy to obstruct justice. It's very important for me to note that the defendants in this case must be presumed innocent until proven guilty beyond a reasonable doubt in a court of law. To that end my office will seek a speedy trial in this matter consistent with the public
1: interest and the rights of the accused.
0: That was DOJ special counsel, Jack Smith. Uh, The former president faces a 37 count indictment over his mishandling of classified documents and obstruction of justice when the FBI tried to recover them. This is in addition to the 34 count indictment Trump faces in New York related to a cash payment he made uh, to a point star before the 2016 election and a jury finding Trump liable for sexual abuse and defamation in a civil case. Trump could also face another series of indictments in Georgia for trying to overturn the results of the 2020 election.
2: So what does this mean for 2024, uh, looking at races for, for House and Senate?
0: Well, setting aside the, the legal and even the political part of it, what I'm focused on right now that doesn't get enough attention is the timing. Um, or the timing. First of all, we don't know when these trials, when these trials are going to take place, um, how these trials are going, to, uh, are going to play out. But what we do know is that the legal problems are sucking up oxygen. It is going to be extremely difficult for, uh, for candidates that are already running, incumbents that are already running, to try to get their message out or to talk about anything else when Trump and his legal problems are constantly in the news. I think it's also having a a chilling factor on the cycle where there's so much uncertainty with his legal status and what's happening at the top of the ticket that some Republicans may not be sure if they want to get into the race because they're they're a little bit leery of joining a ticket or joining a ballot when he's at the top. But, um, Aaron, I guess, Aaron, what are you focused on when it comes to Trump's legal problems in twenty twenty four?
1: Oh, my gosh. I mean, that is such an open question at this point. I think, like you said, Nathan, it seems like right now I've been thinking about how it's affecting which candidates are going to run and which ones may be less likely and more likely to wait it out until another cycle when they don't have to run with Trump on the ticket, most likely. I mean, at this point, um, he is the prohibitive favorite to win the Republican nomination. Democrats and Republicans are pretty much On the same page about that. Um, And even if that does change, he's still going to be a front runner throughout this primary process. And whoever is running down ballot in these races for House or even Senate um, are going to have to contend with what the presidential candidates like Trump and the other Republican presidential candidates are talking about. And so all of these folks who are looking at running in the Senate and particularly in these House races where it's even harder to kind of establish your own political identity that's separate from just being a generic Republican or a generic Democrat are really going to struggle to not have to just kind of focus on whatever is going on with Trump and all of his legal issues, regardless of how they end up playing out.
0: Right. I think we underestimate as the drip, drip, drip of legal news comes out that it provides more opportunities for reporters to then ask candidates, well, what do you think? Do you agree or do you disagree with this? But Jacob, what what are you focused on? Uh, with the down ballot effect,
2: I think that there's going to be a, a tremendous amount of attention paid, obviously, to the presidential race, and that does crowd out uh, members of Congress. I, I think that, and and, and congressional candidates, not incumbents, certainly. You know, the the thing that comes to mind for me, though, is is you know less about kind of the the topic of the day and more just the. Uh, you know the, the dynamics of a presidential election when Donald Trump is on the ballot. I mean, we saw this happen in in 2020, where we had this massive turnout uh, surge, obviously uh, in the COVID pandemic as well, and and increased ballot access uh, in a lot of states because of the pandemic. But you know, I I think that. Uh, we've got a, a a number of freshman members, certainly the Republican majority, obviously built on freshman members that were elected to Congress in 2022, who haven't had to run uh, for Congress with Donald Trump on the ticket, haven't had to live in that kind of electorate, uh, where 60, 65% of the population is showing up to vote. So I, I do kind of wonder how much uh, is is about Trump as uh, kind of the specific legal challenges and how much of it is just about Trump as this all-encompassing figure who uh, inspires really intense feelings, not just in his supporters, but in his detractors as well.
1: Yeah, and to your point, Jacob, I mean, 18 of these Republicans who are up for re-election are running in districts that Biden won in 2020. And so even if um, Biden performs the same as he did In that cycle, it's likely that um, at least a dozen and a half Republican members are going to have to run ahead of the Republican nominee for president, um, which is not an easy task um, and is usually something that a handful of members of Congress, at least at the House level, are able to accomplish in presidential cycles.
0: And Republicans who want to turn the chapter from Trump or don't think he would be the strongest general election nominee, I don't think have factored in what happens if he, if he's not the nominee, because he's not going to go away quietly, right? He's still going to be giving interviews and on social media and doing, saying things. And if he causes 5% 5% of Republican voters to, to stay home or not vote because he says it's rigged and he's, he's angry and they support him more than any other party or institution. And that has a tremendous impact, not just on the presidential race, but on some of these down ballot races where Republican candidates need independent voters in order to either get reelected or to, to win their races
2: yeah i think it's it's a really risky situation that republicans are uh heading toward uh, with trump as their as their likely standard bearer and i do think a lot of the uh, consternation is, is papered over by not just 2020 and, and these, you know, false theories that he won the election. But I think honestly, the more important race, uh, when it comes to voters perception of Trump is 2016, because that was really the moment where everyone, not everyone, but a lot of people were saying, you know, Trump can't win, right? There was a, a real perception in a lot of the media, uh, in a lot of the punditry that, uh, Hillary Clinton was a shoe in and that there was no way Trump could win. And certainly he wasn't going to, you know, be a help to any of the Republicans running down ballot. And what we saw happen was, was Trump prove the the doubters wrong. And so I I do think that uh, when voters pose the question to themselves can Donald Trump win an election uh, they think back to 2016 and the the unexpected outcome there and and so they're less receptive to the arguments that uh, some Republicans in Congress and in the presidential race like Ron DeSantis are making saying oh Donald Trump can't win an election voters are sitting there saying that's what you all were saying eight years ago and you were wrong why should we believe you now
0: exactly yeah. yep that that's a great that's a great point. Uh, and, and this is an issue that's going to keep coming up. I'm sure we're going to keep talking about because he, President Trump is likely to get indicted again in Georgia. And we get to we're going to have so many simultaneous court cases going on. The same dynamic is going to be playing out. Uh, but let's move on to our let's move on to our next topic. Our second story is the Supreme Court in redistricting.
1: Yeah. So, Nathan, about two weeks ago, the Supreme Court ruled that Alabama's new congressional map violates the Voting Rights Act um, by diluting the political power of black voters in the state. Um, So this came as a pretty big surprise because the conservatives who currently have a majority in the Supreme Court have typically chosen to weaken the Voting Rights Act in previous cases. And so a lot of folks were expecting that they would uphold Alabama's new congressional map, um, but that was not the case. And so now the state is going to have to draw a new map and create a second congressional district where black voters are in the majority or at least in the plurality. So currently the state has seven congressional districts and only one of these districts is majority black. And because of the um, political makeup of the state, it's likely that this second district um, would elect a Democrat to Congress. And so this one decision could have a significant impact on the battle for control of the House when Republicans only have a five seat majority at this point.
0: So, Aaron, you took the lead on this particular story for us in the in the newsletter. What is the timeline for a new map in Alabama and potentially new maps elsewhere?
1: yeah so a federal court has given the alabama legislature till july 21st to draw a new map that's a really quick turnaround but the filing deadline um, for candidates who are running in 2024 in alabama is in november and so the state has to have a new map approved by then Um, and if the legislature doesn't draw a new map or isn't able to come to a consensus come to a consensus on a map Um, by that date, then the court has the ability to appoint a special master to draw the map, which is a tactic that we saw used in a couple of states last cycle during the redistricting processes. And then for the other states, it's a little more unclear. Um, There are similar cases in Louisiana and in Georgia under the Voting Rights Act that could affect their maps um, now that the Supreme Court has ruled the way it did in Alabama. And so in Louisiana and Georgia, depending on the timeline for these cases, there's a chance that we could see two new uh, majority black districts drawn in these states, and those would likely elect Democrats. And then Texas also has several voting rights lawsuits against their um, congressional map, and those lawsuits are not as far along as they are in Louisiana and in Georgia, and so it's less likely that the state would have a new map by 2024, but there certainly is a chance that um, the map there could be a new map in 2026
0: and Jacob what are the chances of uh, I know that there are some Democrats who think that there is an opportunity to gain ground in New York and Wisconsin uh, what are the chances of new maps there and does the does the the decision the Supreme Court decision impact those processes at all
2: The Supreme Court does not really impact those decisions uh, because uh, it it specifically dealt with this question of, you know, uh, racial disparities in in voting power and particularly kind of compact populations. Um, And and, uh, the questions about the maps in Wisconsin and New York are not uh, race-based by and large. Uh, There are uh, hopes among Democrats that those two maps might Be redrawn, right? So Democrats retook the Wisconsin Supreme Court in an election this spring. Uh, There is a lawsuit working its way uh, through the system there. Some Democrats are hopeful that either the first or the third district could get redrawn to be more Democratic, potentially both uh, redrawn there to be more competitive. In New York, uh, there's a similar case. New York had a very messy redistricting process uh, last year. Uh, that ultimately ended with an out-of-state special master being brought in by a court to uh, redraw the, the map that the legislature had drawn. New York also saw a change in the composition of its highest court, confusingly called the court of appeals and democrats are hopeful that the new justices on that court uh, will be more amenable to their argument uh, that the map should be redrawn but we're still quite a ways away there was an intermediate court hearing on that case Uh, that court has to decide whatever that decision is will get appealed to the court of appeals Uh, the Court of Appeals has to decide. And that restarts the whole process. Uh, There's a commission that's involved. uh, And then the legislature ultimately uh, will take their turn at drawing a new map. Uh, And depending on how aggressive Democrats want to be, uh, they could make life very difficult for any of the six or multiple of the six Republicans who hold seats that uh, Joe Biden would have won in the 2020 election in New York.
1: Well, and I don't want to um also forget to mention the redistricting situations in North Carolina and Ohio where Republicans control the processes. Both of these states are expected to have new maps in 2024 and in North Carolina um, because of the way the state's current congressional map is drawn and what Republicans are expected to do there. The VRA ruling from the Supreme Court could actually affect um, how Republicans in the state legislature in North Carolina are able to draw that new map, so they might not be able to draw as aggressive as a gerrymander as they were expected to draw before this ruling.
0: And if people haven't uh, googled the North Carolina Speaker of, of the State House and some of the some of the uh, situation controversy that he's involved in, I, I might encourage you to do that. Maybe be careful on a work on a work computer, uh, but uh, it's. I guess when you, when you boil it down redistricting, do we think that one party will have a a significant net of seats when you factor in all of the redistricting stuff that we've just talked about, or is it going to be a wash and it'll be a straight fight for the house? Does one party have an advantage?
2: I think it probably comes down to what happens in New York. I think, you know, the, the prior to this Supreme court case, I think it we probably would have given the edge to Republicans, but, uh, the domino effect in Alabama, Louisiana, Georgia. I know that there's a case in Arkansas, even with a similar uh, kind of argument there. Um, there's another, uh, related, but distinct case in South Carolina. I think those probably counteract a lot of what we were going to see in North Carolina and Ohio. And then, you know, how aggressive are Democrats in, in New York, I think is is the final piece to the puzzle, but we're just so far away, and it's dependent, you know, not on legislators whose behavior we can, uh, you know, somewhat understand, but uh, judges who who oftentimes, as as we just saw two weeks ago, uh, can surprise you. All
0: right, Aaron, what do you
2: think? Yeah.
1: I agree with Jacob. I think it really comes down to what happens in New York. It's a little more predictable in North Carolina, where Republicans are expected to draw a map where they could net anywhere from three to four seats just based on that new map alone. Um, again, that may not be the case now that the Supreme Court has ruled the way that it did on the VRA. Um, but I think there's still a situation where you could see Republicans pick up Three different seats just from redistricting alone in North Carolina. And then Ohio is a little less clear, too, because um, under the current map, Democrats represent the three most competitive congressional districts. And so Even if the Republicans don't make any significant changes to the map and they're not expected to make aggressive changes to the Ohio map, which is just based on the state's Constitution, has a little more specific rules around redistricting than North Carolina's Constitution. But even if Republicans kind of leave the map the way it currently is, there's a really good chance that they could flip all three of these seats since they're all held by Democrats. Um, And then, like Jacob said, because of the ruling in, on the Alabama case, we could see anywhere from one to maybe three new Democratic-leaning districts come up in these states in the Deep South, in Alabama, Louisiana, Georgia, and maybe even Arkansas. Um, but yeah, it really all comes down to this decision in New York.
2: And I think w- one of the one of the points that I, I think has, has gotten a little lost in the conversation about Alabama is you know we've seen a lot of legal scholars uh, weigh in on the case and 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 basically say that this is uh this was a victory for voting rights advocates, but it also was merely maintaining the status quo in terms of how yeah. the court was interpreting. Uh, the, the Voting Rights Act and, and the, the case Jingles that was the, the precedent here, that the court declined to overturn uh, that case and reinterpret the Voting Rights Act uh, like Alabama wanted it to. And well, that's the legal uh upshot of this i do think that it's important to remember how how different and and not status quo the political upshot of this case is right i mean this has been the the way that southern states have done redistricting since the 90s right is there uh they couldn't have no black majority districts, so they had one. And we see this in Mississippi and in Louisiana and in Alabama and in South Carolina. Uh, this uh, This is just how it's done and how it's been done for the last 30 years. And so even though legally this is a continuation, it's not an expansion, from a political standpoint, there really is a shift here in the understanding of how states have to draw these congressional districts in order to comport with existing law.
0: And, yeah, and when I hear when we as we go through all of this, and this is my third redistricting cycle uh, of, of reporting and it I it's I'm skeptical that there's going to be a lot of new maps. It just sounds like a lot of steps that have to happen in a very short amount of time and in involving legal process. So we'll see how many new maps we have in 2024. Aaron, you mentioned potentially some of them reaching into 2026 and it could be mid-decade redistricting. Uh, But uh, so we'll be covering this, we'll be covering this throughout, Uh, but let's move on to our third story. Mathematically, it had to be perfect. Mathematically, Sarah Hughes had to win the long and Michelle Kwan had to be third in the long in order for this result. And that's exactly what happened. Third ranked woman on a three
2: man team wins the Olympic gold medal for the United States. Wow, what a finish. Sixteen year old Sarah Hughes, Great (laughs) Neck, New York, with an upset of Olympian
1: proportions, takes the gold medal.
0: Our third story is Olympic figure skating and Congress.
2: So New York's fourth congressional district is one of Democrats' best pickup opportunities next year. Uh, The Long Island district is currently represented by a Republican, Anthony D'Esposito, but it voted for Biden by 14 points in 2020, 57 to 43%, uh, which makes it exactly the kind of seat that Democrats have to win back in order to reclaim the majority. Uh, But it does look like that they will have to sort through a primary before they can take on D'Esposito in the general election. Uh, 2022 nominee Laura Gillen, who's the former uh, town supervisor of Hempstead, which is uh, the vast majority of this district, uh, is running for the seat. But Olympian Sarah Hughes, uh, who won a gold medal in figure skating at the 2002 Games in Salt Lake City, is also preparing to join the race.
0: So, Jacob, you wrote uh, a long piece on this race in the latest newsletter and the latest inside elections. Uh, What uh, are Hughes' chances of actually? making it through the primary, even though she's the the name that some people may have heard of uh, heard of most.
2: So Hughes, who has, to be clear, not officially entered the race, she has filed, but she has not uh, formally launched her campaign or really done any sort of campaigning, it is a real underdog to begin with. It's always going to be hard to defeat a previous cycle's nominee, uh, someone like Laura Gillen. And uh, additionally, Laura Gillen has been around in the politics of Uh, the South Shore of Long Island for the last decade. Uh, She won her town supervisor race in 2017, was the first Democrat to win that uh, seat in over 100 years. On the ballot again in 2019, very narrow loss. Then again, of course, in the primary and in the general. So Democrats have seen her her name on the ballot any number of times uh, over the last couple of years. And so while Hughes does have a degree of celebrity, uh, she is a, a hometown hero for much of Long Island, Uh, She is not familiar uh, to the politics of the district, and so she will be starting from uh, a less advantageous position than Gillen, who already has that political infrastructure uh, and name ID built up. So uh, you know Hughes will have to raise a lot of money. Uh, She will have to try and tap into the goodwill uh, stemming back to her 2002 uh, gold medal run, which was an upset. She was a teenager. It came uh, right in the wake of 9-11 when uh, New York was really still reeling uh, from those attacks. And so uh, she's got uh, some cards to play here, but uh, when she formally gets in the race later in the summer is going to have her work cut out for her.
1: What has she been doing since then?
2: A lot of things. So uh, after she retired from skating, she remained very involved both in the Olympics or as an organization uh, in the Women's Sports Federation, founded by uh, tennis superstar Billie Jean King. Um, She has uh, been involved in in local skating efforts. She went to law school, got a got a JD. She's got a, a great pedigree. Yale. Um, University of Pennsylvania. She's currently actually uh, pursuing an MBA at Stanford. Part of the reason why uh, she hasn't begun her campaign yet was because she was still taking midterms and finals until a couple of weeks ago. Uh, But she has practiced law for a little bit as a corporate attorney uh, at a, a New York firm, Proskauer Rose. Uh, and and is currently in business school. So she's got her hands uh, in a lot of different fields at the moment. And it will be uh, interesting to see whether she can tie all of that together to a compelling message uh, for her congressional bid.
1: She's collecting all the Ivy League infinity stones, I see. <laughs>
2: <laughs> um, and I feel
0: like Hughes is the, the type of I don't know, celebrity. Maybe that's the the right word. Where she may not be a name <laughs> that you immediately remember, but if you see the clip on YouTube or you listen to it, then then yeah. the memories start coming back. I, I, we don't have to go through exactly uh, where the two of you were in 2002, uh, <laughs> but um, pro- we were probably in different places in life. But I don't know. Had you had either of you heard of Sarah Hughes um, when we before as we started talking about this race as she came onto the scene?
2: No, not, not, uh, not really. This is where I I admit that I wasn't paying all that much attention to the, the 2002 Olympics, uh, in, in Salt Lake city. Um, but, uh, that's just me. She's,
0: she hasn't reached Mary Lou Retton status, but I don't know, maybe we're we're reaching, we're reaching even, we're reaching even further back.
2: Look, Um, I, I do think though, you know, none, none of us are, none of us are in the district and, and what her, uh, Bid is gonna is gonna rely on is is the goodwill uh, from Long Islanders, right? And can she really, you know, take that local girl made good angle and and tap into um, the the feelings uh, of of the electorate there, and and especially you know the older electorate that both uh, remembers that Olympics and votes more regularly in primaries.
1: I mean, it seems like Olympians have done pretty well. Um... When they've run for Congress, maybe not as well as astronauts, but um, like you had Monica Trinell in Montana last cycle, Um, I'm sure that both of you can add more names to that list.
2: Well, she lost. Uh, Yeah, but she she came close. But she. She, she she did win her primary, uh, which is the first step for Hughes. You know, the other Olympian that comes to mind is uh, Olympic bobsledder uh, Herschel Walker, better known for uh, some other <laughs> athletic feats of his. Uh, but he also, you know, won his primary convincingly, clearly off the strength of his bobsledding run, I I think at the 1994 uh, Olympics, but I'm not sure. Um, I don't know, Nathan, can you think of other Olympians in in recent memory who have uh, tried or, or made it to Congress.
0: There was a, an, an Olympian who ran, gosh, I, I do this for a living, so I should have these names, but he, he was running in Colorado, I want to say, but it was in one of those events with multiple, where multiple events, like you're riding horses and you're oh, shooting yeah. and you're, uh, he Eli in, Bremer. Yeah. Eli that's Bremer,
2: right. um, who, uh, was running for Senate, right. And didn't make it out of the convention, uh, out there in Colorado.
0: Right, yeah, he was good. a
2: pentathlete. Good pull.
0: Look at this—you're like an a Olympic,
2: resident <laughs> Olympic expert. <laughs>
0: yeah, we're giving well, you a
2: new title after this Nathan. Season. One of us, one of us wrote an article about uh, Olympians running for Congress. Uh, I don't think it was me, yeah, but I, I think it I was do me. remember reading it. it, it was I do too. <laughs> that's why I was
1: asking. <laughs> I remember, and I'm reading getting that so
0: article. old. I'm getting so old that I forget even things that I wrote uh, just a few <laughs> weeks ago. Um, but. Uh, Yeah, the key is whether she can transition, Hughes can transition, you know, that celebrity status into real support and real votes, because ultimately... Ultimately, that that's what matters.
2: I, I think that it her her struggle will be in, in part at least the celebrity can be an advantage. It's obviously a very strong card she has to play, but it also has its downsides. And we see this in her kind of quasi launch, right? Not every candidate, when they file for office, is going to get stories written about them in CNN, Washington Post, New York Times, every major media outlet covered her filing in the race. She was still at Stanford. She wasn't actually uh, ready to jump into that. Contest, uh, but was faced with this kind of deluge of of immediate news coverage. Uh, she, you know, will have to contend with that additional spotlight. You know, we saw something very similar out in California, where Ben Savage, the actor, uh, is running for Congress to succeed Adam Schiff. Very similar. I think he was on CNN the morning he announced, uh, and he is a real non-factor in the race. And so, when you're a celebrity and you jump in with all of this national attention, uh, you got to remember that. The, the election is still won on the ground. These primaries are local affairs uh, and and you can have a lot of stories in big outlets, but they don't necessarily get you over the finish line or even get you to the starting line.
0: Well, I wanna save that Ben Savage race for another episode because I wanna have an in-depth discussion on Boy Meets World versus Saved by the Bell. What was the better show? And uh, we can go episode by episode I think that, that would but...
2: be a monologue.
0: <laughs> oh, brutal. <laughs> brutal um but all right that's that's uh but those are we'll, we'll be following all of these ish, all of these races uh to to completion uh next year and finally our last segment look what i found where we highlight something new we've stumbled across it could be political sports music something else entirely You never know what you're going to get with this segment. Erin, what did you find?
1: So I started um, watching a new show with my roommates that's called Mrs. Davis, which is basically about this nun who is on a mission to defeat this algorithm that has taken over the earth because she thinks that the algorithm is responsible for her father's death. Um, So it's actually weirder than it sounds. (laughs) I'm like on episode four. yes
0: weirder (laughs) than it sounds okay
1: yeah it um a lot of twists and turns um it's very quirky it's fun though it's like keeping me entertained i normally don't go for sci-fi um but i'm enjoying it so i think i'd recommend it (laughs) we'll see how it ends
0: (laughs) how many episodes are available at this point
1: i think it's just like seven or eight episodes it's pretty short maybe 10 max but it's not a super long series
0: jacob what did you find
2: So I found a show on Netflix, uh, a new show called The Night Agent. Uh, It's a thriller about an FBI agent who finds himself uh, wrapped up in a vast conspiracy. It's pretty silly, but it's enjoyable. And it's a real kind of throwback to those, you know, espionage thrillers of the 80s and 90s. Um, And I appreciated that it even had a plot point that revolved around uh, some FEC filings, uh, (laughs) though they didn't quite get the look of the FEC website exactly right
0: hold on a second jacob are you sure are you are you writing this in spare time are you is this your side hustle writing shows uh,
2: no no i stand with the wga uh no i'm not i'm not writing uh i'm not writing any netflix shows in my in my uh spare time um but i did uh laugh out loud it wasn't a funny moment but when i saw the uh when i saw the one of the characters say you know do the Uh, You you better take a look at this. And she turned her laptop around and it was the FEC website. Uh, I I couldn't help but laugh because uh, that's how I feel um, most days when I also, uh, you know, troll around the FEC uh, looking for vast global conspiracies.
1: I'm glad someone's glamorizing our lifestyle.
2: (laughs) (laughs) Aaron, Aaron, would this be a candidate
0: for you and your roommates to watch? Would this check enough boxes?
1: Maybe I think so. I don't actually watch a lot of like political shows because I like to not think about it in my free time, (laughs) but um, yeah, it could be fun. It's a candidate.
0: You're too busy creating political shows, like the inside elections podcast. (laughs) Um, Well, I found uh, that the Dallas high school dragons won the 2023 state championship in Oregon. Uh, first ever state championship for uh, for the softball team. Uh, yes, it is the high school that I went to. Yes, I still pay attention and care, which might say something about me. I'm even wearing a uh, for those of you watching on YouTube a shirt from the <laughs> Dallas wrestling team when they won the state championship. So, just a just a warning that you will probably hear more about how the Dallas Dragons are are doing because uh, I'm uh, stuck in the past in some ways. But I'm excited. I'm I'm excited for them.
2: Nathan, do you still have your your jersey from your football days?
0: Oh, Jacob, we d- we don't want to turn off uh, listeners and viewers <laughs> this early. This is only the first episode. Um, it may, is it or may framed not framed on the other side of the not camera. Framed. It may be in a closet at my parents' house, um, but I, wow. I I haven't seen it in years. But I think it may may exist as people may notice from my twitter profile i i was i think one of the top rated backup quarterbacks in the mid Willamette valley in the early, in the mid 1990s so you know for those of you who can't pick up the sarcasm backup that's how <laughs> that's how good i was um so no but it's it's great it's fun i'm happy i'm happy for the kids So that's all the time we have. We got smarter about Trump's impact on congressional races uh, with his mounting legal problems. Uh, We plotted the path ahead on redistricting in the wake of the Supreme Court decision. And we learned why it might be hard for an Olympic figure skater to end up in Congress. And that's all in the context of a very competitive 2024 election cycle. Thank you for joining us. At Inside Elections, we provide nonpartisan analysis of congressional, presidential, and gubernatorial races. With a combination of reporting and data, we break down the key races and bring valuable context to complex elections. Go to InsideElections.com to subscribe to our bi-weekly newsletter. We have individual subscriptions as well as group packages that are tailor-made for association and corporate PACs. In case you're not familiar with how podcasts work, if you're listening and you like this episode, please subscribe to the podcast and rate us on your favorite platform. If you're watching on YouTube, please hit subscribe as well. Leave us a comment and we will do our best to respond. If you didn't like this episode, please email 2002 bronze medalist Michelle Kwan. We also wanted to thank our producers, Alan Tazinski and Melissa Lenner of Pretty Easy Podcast and our associate producer, Conrad Tolosa. Please come back and join us again.